Hey, I'm Randy, uh, actually Randy Drawn, and for those of you that we've not met, which looks like a lot of you, uh, Jill and I uh, serve together um, as pastors at Midtown Fellowship. My primary responsibility is downtown at that campus, his is here, but as you know, we uh, share the teaching pulpit, so it's a, it's a privilege to be down here with you guys this week, and um, so... Um, Thanks. Awkward pause. So we're going to dive in this morning. We're going through a series in Colossians, and if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and turn there. And uh, I don't know if you have house Bibles here, do you? No page numbers, okay. And I'd like to, uh, I need a volunteer. Um, We're going to do a magic trick? No, I'm kidding. But I do need a volunteer in this section over here. Would somebody volunteer? I don't know enough names to just embarrass somebody. Just all, You don't have to get up. You don't have to come up here. You just stand where you are. Okay, thank you. And your name is, young man. And we have never met, have we? Okay, stand. <laughs> all right, and I need somebody over here to volunteer on this wing. The middle section gets preserved today. So somebody, all you, you got to do is stand like Will. You don't have to stand as tall as he does. Okay, and your name is? Omar? Omari. Okay, well, we've never met, really, okay? I was joking about Will, but we've never Here's what I want you to visualize today, is that we're going to answer two questions, okay? One question is uh, a question of how do we attach our lives in a significant way to promise, okay? Will represents that, all right? So what's your question, Will? What did he leave out? Yes, thank you. All right, Will, please sit down. All right. And the second question that we're going to ask is, how do we truly worship? Like, how do we worship? What's our question? How do we truly worship? Beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. Will, take notes. All right, maybe I want to meet after. We're going to answer those two questions because, believe it or not, they're connected with one another. And uh, let's see how we can do that, how we can uh, really deeply anchor our lives to a promise and also prepare ourselves to worship. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's hard on Sunday morning to kind of what I call get up for worship. And I'm not just talking about rolling out of bed. For some of you, that's difficult, all right? And thank you for making that sacrifice and being here. But I'm talking about like, you know, like getting up, like to get in that place of worship do any of y'all watch SEC football? A couple of you? Anybody Alabama fans? There is one. <clears throat> you are all alone, Price. I'm sorry, man. Does anybody not care about football? Wow, you are out. <laughs> okay, then I get to make fun of it because you know you notice when teams are coming out how they all kind of huddle by the tunnel and then they start doing this right here? You know... I've never played football, so I don't know what they're doing. If it, is this a calisthenics and the guy in the middle is after me, after me? No, but they're getting themselves pumped up. And what I always chuckle about is how many guys are on a football team? Maybe 100? Is that like on a good college football team? Uh, and I laugh because most of those guys that are flexing and screaming and running you know, through the smoke and jumping up and down, they're never going to play. Settle down, pal. You know, go get a Gatorade, take off your helmet, and have a seat. 
is that what worship is, that we need to pump ourselves up for worship? Well, we'll talk about that. In Colossians, uh, we've been working our way through a series on hope, and now we are talking about Jesus and who is Jesus. And it's really kind of funny because as we've perused the Internet for different ideas of how people view Jesus, we've come across some beautiful pictures. Here's this week's picture of how some people view Jesus. I think I saw him at Portland Brew the other day, you know? Okay. This is uh, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. And it's talking about Jesus. When it says he, it's talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Wow. There's a lot there, isn't it? Well, because if you're like me, I'm ADD, and it's hard to listen to someone read, we're just going to take little snippets of this this morning and try to understand it. First, let me remind you, this book was written by the Apostle Paul, and it was written to a community of people that he had never visited. He had never been to Colossae. But someone that he had led to the Lord, Epaphras, actually traveled to this city and started this church. And this man was so deeply concerned about what was happening in his community that he traveled from Colossae all the way to Rome, which was a 1,300-mile journey. Now, let me put that in some kind of perspective for you because we're talking about a man, round-trip journey, of nearly 2,500 miles. This could have possibly taken him an entire year to travel from his home to find Paul in prison and to ask Paul, because Paul was in prison, we need your help. I need you to write about the things that we're facing because we have false teachers. We have those that come from the Jewish tradition and are trying to blend Judaism and Christianity together. And we have those that are called the Gnostics that are trying to convince our people that we need some kind of special knowledge and that the flesh doesn't matter. And so Paul penned this book. He actually penned these words for this man to travel 1,300 miles to deliver to this community. That's how important Epaphras thought these words were. So what do they mean? He is saying that Jesus, against the claim of those that were false teachers and were saying that Jesus was created that he wasn't God. Paul is saying, no, he was God. And not only was he not created, he created everything. Everything in heaven and on earth. The entire universe and everything on this planet. Visible and invisible. The things that we can see and the things that we can't see. He created them all. Now listen to this. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, if you're familiar with Jewish literature, that's really talking about the heavenly beings, angels, 
cherubims, seraphims. It's saying that Jesus even created all of them. All things were created by him. And here right here is the atomic bomb for him. Woo. What does that mean? Uh, God made the world. All right, close in prayer. Well, let me try to uh, capture your imagination this morning. Because the Lord gave us our imagination and he loves when we celebrate it. The first thing I want you to grasp when Paul is saying that Jesus is the creator is he's saying Jesus is the unchanging one. He has no beginning and he has no end. He was never created and there is no conclusion to his existence. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The Westminster Catechism says this, he is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. God's nature or his character is immutable. It is impossible for it to mutate into anything other than what it is. That is that it's never worsened and it's never bettered. It remains the same. God does not change. Indeed, he cannot change, both in his being and in his will. Now, I want you to, that you may be a brainiac and really be grasping what I'm saying here. But let me help those that are like me that have to chew on this for a while. Let me put it this way. Everything that is in this world that you know is in a constant state of change. Everything. You're in a constant state of change. That's why we like old pictures. <gasps> oh, wow. You did your hair that way back then. That's nice. You know? Or, you know, we change. We're aging. We're growing older. But more importantly, you're not the same person that you were when you walked through that door this morning. Your, your cells, your body, everything is in a constant state of change. Everything. Everything is changing. And what Paul is declaring here is that there is one in this, I can't even say universe, because the universe cannot contain God. The universe is contained by God. But what Paul is saying is there's one that is unchanging, only one. He is unlike us. He will never change. Now, what do I mean by that? You know, if we went over to the Cumberland and we dove in, and if we didn't hit a body, then we would crawl out, you know, and we said, hey, let's do it again, it would be impossible for us to dive back into the same Cumberland. It, literally, physically, it would be impossible. Because the Cumberland that we dived into has already swept away. There is a new Cumberland now. And every time we did it, we would constantly be diving into a new Cumberland. Do you understand that concept? And God is saying, that may be true about the Cumberland, that may be true about you, that may be true about your car, which my car is in a constant state of change, deterioration, all right? But unlike all those things, God does not change. Listen to Numbers 23, verse 19. This is worth writing down, 23, 19, Numbers. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of a man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? He is not like us. Hang on to this. Because he is never changing, God's glory is complete. God is glorious in and of himself. 
He doesn't need anything or anyone to enhance or add to his intrinsic majesty. See, what I want you to grasp about this is that what he does comes from who he is, not from a need. You're never going to hear God say, I wish I had a ham sandwich. God doesn't wish. God doesn't wish that he had more followers. He doesn't hope and chew his fingernails and say, well, I hope 12 South really makes it through this year's budget season. You know, God doesn't wish. God is complete. What that means is, is that everything comes from a place of celebration of God's glory. He does it all for his glory. He is completely satisfied. He is completely content. And his joy is filled to the very max that it could possibly be filled to all the time, all the time, all the time. God is deeply, deeply satisfied within himself. And he reflects that in his glory. Why does that matter? Well, remember we said all things were created by him and for him. Why? Everything exists for the glory of Jesus Christ. Everything. Everything celebrates his glory. Everything magnifies his glory. Everything displays his glory. Everything. This week I was reading and I came across this story about the, uh, the red knot bird. Have any of y'all red knot bird? Anybody own a red knot bird? Okay. Something you don't know about. <laughs> so, anyway, it's kind of a sandpiper that lives down in Argentina. Actually, it lives on the very tip of South America, down on the beaches of Argentina. But every February, something unique happens with the sandpiper, uh, the red knot bird. It actually, in one huge flock, gets up and flies out of Argentina. And it keeps flying and keeps flying 18,000 miles until it reaches the east coast of the United States. Actually, it reaches Delaware. They go to Delaware every year. Uh, does anybody from Delaware? What's up about Delaware? I mean, 18,000 miles to see Delaware? I don't, the beaches? Anyway. Uh, that probably would have been more funny if some of you have been to Delaware, right? Um, but here's what's remarkable about the red knot bird is when they get to Delaware, it's mating season. And so they start laying eggs, and babies are hatching, and they're feeding the babies and taking care of them. And when the babies get to that point to where they're kind of on their own, they can fly a little bit, guess what happens? And this is beautiful. All the female birds in the population of Red Knot get up and leave. They leave. Okay. And guess what they leave behind? All the babies and all the men. Yes, <laughs> the mom's in here. Glory! You take care of them. I'm going to Argentina. <laughs> and they fly home. And a week later, the men have had enough. And they take off. And here's what's amazing about this story. Is that now all that's left are the newly hatched red knot birds. It takes them almost to the end of August to mature to where they can fly well enough for them to start making the journey. These are birds that, that have breathed their first breath six weeks before they begin this journey. No parents with them. There's no like 
you know, granddaddy guide that's going before them. They are all on their own, and yet they find their way from Delaware all the way to the southern tip beaches of Argentina. You gotta be kidding me. Does that does that marvel you? Some of y'all have watched way too much National Geographic, you know? Eh, mm, red not birds, yeah. I got stories like that. Why would God do that? For his glory. For his glory. You know, there are creatures at the bottom of the sea that we've never seen. Why do they exist? In our arrogance, we wonder, what meaning must they have if we don't know about them? For his glory. If God is satisfied, then he does everything for his glory. Grasp this. His reputation is at stake for his glory. So when he makes promises to us, why does he keep them? Not because you're worthy of him keeping his promises to you, but because of his glory. When he says, I love you, what's at stake there is not because you're lovable, it's because of his glory. When he says, I will care for you, it's because of his glory. When he says, I give you salvation, when he sent his son down to die on the cross to take all our sins away, is it because we did something miraculous that God says, now we'll go and die for them? No, God knew we weren't worthy, but he sent his son for his glory. Now grab this. You with me, Will? All right. Promises are only as powerful as the promise maker. You know, have you ever been stuck in the mud? Like your car is stuck in the mud? Not figuratively, you know? I mean like literally, like the trunk is underneath the mud, you know, and you're just spinning the wheel, you know? And if you're stuck in the mud, what do you hope comes down the road? If you see some guy on a moped, you know, you're not going, yes, my prayers are answered. Here's the chain. Put it on that license plate. Now pull me out. Because you know, man, that there's no strength, there's no power to pull me out of that. You want the monster truck to come down the road. And the monster truck that's coming down the road of our souls and our lives is God through Jesus Christ. That's right. God is a monster truck. <laughs> and He has the power, but He also has the promise. So how do we, how do we wrap that chain around promise? We wrap that chain around the promise maker who says, for my glory, I keep my promises. So how does someone hang on to promise? Know who made the promise. Now briefly, what was our second question? How do we truly worship? And how is that connected to Jesus being the creator? First of all, let me say this. Number one, know who you are. Have you all ever heard the, uh, the story? Uh, you know, it's a fable of, the, of the baby eagle that got separated from its mom and ended up in a chicken coop somehow. Have you heard this story? And so he grows up in the chicken coop and all the other chickens are saying, you know, you're an ugly chicken because you don't look like us. And, you know, as he grew older and larger and he had these big wings and they're like, what's wrong with you? You're weird, you know. Quit flapping those things. And he keeps thinking to himself, I'm not like everybody else. I'm different somehow. And one day he saw an eagle flying in the sky and he goes, I think that's me. That should be me. But everybody was just telling me I'm a loser chicken that can't lay eggs. What's wrong with me? 
And so one day he crawls up on the top of the chicken coop and he says, live or die, I'm going to either live what I think I am or I'm not going to live at all. And he goes off and he can't fly because he's never done it before and he breaks his neck. It's sad, I know. Go ahead, you can cry. You know, it's a stupid story. I'm sorry. It's the best I can come up with. You're really supposed to build it up really good and then give the punchline. And I didn't want to spend that much time on it. But here's what it illustrates. Nothing sucks as much as not being what you are. I'm just telling you, it's, it's like the, that, you know, that ancient philosophical fable, fat guy in a little coat. I mean, Seriously. When we try to wear a life that doesn't fit us, yeah. okay, I'm sorry, we're having too much fun wrecking this whole, this is church, stop laughing. You were made to worship. I mean, I'm just going to say it clearly. You were made to worship. I mean, seriously, you were made to worship. And if you don't worship what you were intended to worship, you will spend your life worshiping the wrong thing. And it will sour and poison your life to an extent that you can't comprehend sitting in here this morning. Well, let me, I'm not just making this up. Listen to what 1 Peter chapter 2 says. You, if you're in Christ this morning, now if you're not in Christ this morning, you still were made to worship. You just don't, under, you don't have full revelation yet about what you were made to worship. But if you're in Christ this morning, you share with me a revelation that we know what we're supposed to worship. And listen what it says. This is you if you're in Christ. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. That is you. You are a holy nation. You're a people belonging to God. He did all those things and they are finished, complete, and that is what you are. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light that you may declare His praise, that you may join with all of creation and give God glory. So what is worship? And I'm going to make it really simple this morning. Worship is wow. 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 And so as I started thinking about God and creation and Christ's creation, I started uh, doing some reading this week and actually came across some really interesting facts. Can I take a minute here and talk to you about the universe and try to wow you? I want you to imagine with me that we're going to go on a trip this morning and we're going to load up into a spaceship. Wow, from chicken coops to spaceships, all right? And we are going to leave Earth this morning and we're going to travel at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second, okay? And we are going to travel at that speed out into outer space and see what we experience. It would take us four and a half minutes to get past Mars. You like that sound effect? I liked it. In five and a half hours, we would pass Pluto, our known solar system. And then we would go into what we call deep space. The first day... We would have left our solar system and, and we would have traveled a full day. We would have traveled three and a half billion miles traveling at 186,000 miles per second. That's a lot of mileage, isn't it? We are flying. Get this. It would take you 100,000 years 
just to be able to see the spirals in our Milky Way. Just to get enough distance away from our galaxy to begin to see how it spirals. It would take us 100,000 years of traveling at the speed of light to be able to see that. You realize that it would take us 78 billion years to reach the end of our known universe. What we know, now we know that beyond that we don't know. We just can't go that far. We don't have the ability to see beyond that or speculate beyond that. But what we do know, 78 billion light years. You would pass in that journey. Get this. Wow. You would pass our galaxy, the Milky Way. You would pass 100 billion more galaxies. And each of those galaxies contain hundreds of billions and some trillions of stars. Now, I'm just going to put this as kind of an asterisk footnote. God says in his word he knows them each by name. Trillions of stars. So a number of years ago, there was a scientist by the name of Hubble, and he created a telescope. And in this telescope, they were able to explore deep space by looking into deep space. Now it actually orbits around the Earth. It's in outer space. And they have mounted a camera to it. And what they decided to do was they were going to point the Hubble telescope into deepest, darkest space where nothing was there. They couldn't see anything. And as an experiment, they thought, why don't we just go ahead and open the lens on the camera and let the camera stay open for an entire week? Now, what that means is when the lens is open, it starts to absorb light. The longer it's open, the more light that it can absorb. So it pointed the camera in where there was nothing, deep, dark space, nothing, for an entire week, and then said, they exposed it and said, what did we find out? Can I show you what they saw? Yeah. Ah, can you see that? You can see it better with the Hubble Space Code. This right here is called the Cat's Eye Nebula. Uh, you know, I wish you could see it better, but it's just, what is that? Next, what's the next slide? This here is a dust cloud that is 100 to 150 times the size of our sun. It actually is 4 million times brighter than our sun. Just soak that up for a minute. Christ created that. That's what we're claiming this morning. Next slide. This right, I don't know if you can see it. This is called the pillars of creation. These are actually dust and, uh, and gas clouds. This one over here on the far left, you know, you look at that and you go, wow, that looks like a picture out of a science fiction book, doesn't it? Like something somebody would draw. But this was actually a picture they took with the Hubble Space uh, Telescope camera. This one on the left if you traveled, to give you some scope of how big that is, if you traveled from the very tip to the very base of that dust cloud, it would take you four light years traveling at 186,000 miles per second to travel the extent of that, uh, of that dust cloud. Do you have another one? This is actually a picture of two galaxies colliding. Their orbits kind of came into contact with one another. Down there on the right side... The stars are colliding with one another. Talk about change. Next slide. This here is an interesting slide because this is a picture of our sun and uh, the earth down there. And you see where it says Pluto? 
if you zoomed in on that, that actually is a Disney character in space. I know, it's remarkable, isn't it? No, actually, I want you to grab the scope of how big the sun is compared to our earth. Now, next slide. This right here, you can't even see it. This is the largest known star in our known universe. Right here is a dot. That's the size of our sun in comparison. Next slide. And just the other day, that sun, that star, actually went from circular to being a square. No, I made that up. All right, the slide just didn't work. Okay, thank you. Wouldn't that be Walt? Let me wrap this up, okay? Because why did I show you those slides? I want to awaken you. I want to awaken you to the marvel. I want to invite you into the choir of voices that are being sung. And what is being sung? Listen to Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. And what are they saying? Glory. Glory. See, when we lose, when we lose our sense of awe, when we lose our sense of wonder, when wow has been taken out of our vocabulary, here's what happens. We become cynical. We become cynical people, and church becomes a political rally where we're not so sure the pastor the politician, can really deliver on what he's promising. Ravi Zacharias, an apologist, theologian, said it this way, fatalism is the creed of a will that is dying to its possibilities and seeks to drag the imagination with it. See, like the Hubble telescope has brought us knowledge now, it's ignited a fire of our imagination to dream of the wonders of our God and His creation. Grab this knowledge and imagination. Hang on to this. Now, what I'm about to read to you, guys, either, if it's true, it should knock us in the next week. If it's not true, what are we doing here? Seriously. So let's put it in this kind of category. In Psalm 103, it says, this is the Lord saying this, and this is the Lord that knows the universe. He's the one that knows beyond the 78 billion light years that we know about. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is my love for you. Really? Teddy Roosevelt, former president, after they would have some uh, hard working days and end of the nights, he was known to routinely take the people that he was meeting with out into the lawn of the White House and look up into the stars, and he would recite this. He would point his guest to the corner of Pegasus and he would recite this. That is the spiral galaxy of Andromedan. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is one of a hundred million galaxies. It is 750,000 light years away. It consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our own sun. And then he would turn to them and he would say, 
Now I think we feel small enough to go to bed, don't you? Because he knew something. He was wowed by creation, wasn't he? If you read about his life, he was constantly wowed by creation. And this is what Psalm 8 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man, what am I, that you're mindful of me? The son of man, that you even care about me. You made me a little lower than the heavenly beings. And listen to this. And you crown us with glory and honor. What's the strength of, the, of promises? Do you hear how grand the one who makes those promises are? And what is the power of worship? We allow our imaginations once again to be wowed by dreaming of the love that he has for us through his son, Jesus Christ. See, Christ is the creator. Paul was declaring it. Epaphras gave his life to travel to bring that news. And all the promises of God are yes in Christ. And we stand amazed. So what does that mean this morning? I just want to say we're about to come to this table here and let me prepare you for that. The one who created the universe was not content for you not to know him. He wasn't. For his own glory, he set his affection on us. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take away our sins. Those things that kept us separated from him. And in all his glory, he invites us in to drink up his glory. And to live a life of wow. And to believe his promises. And let me say this. He is greater. He is greater than anything you're facing this morning. He's greater than your fears. He's greater than your doubts. He's greater than your past. He's greater than your future. He's greater than whatever you bring in here today that you're convinced is too much for God. Your broken sexuality. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's past relationships that haunt you like ghosts and keep telling you things that you can't stop believing even though God has said that's not true about you anymore. I promise. The one who declared, who made the heavens has declared his love for you. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how much he cares for you. And the one who says that is trustworthy. He doesn't lie. Isn't that true? You with me?